When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Today's guest on the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast is one of the most talented and single most creative folks in hockey media. She's the winner of Gillette Drafted Season 3. One of the many talents to come out of that famous television studio on King Street in downtown Toronto, and now a reporter and host with the NHL Network, and more specifically, co-host of NHL Now weekdays at 4 p.m. with EJ Raddick. It's Jackie Redman. Jackie, how you doing? First of all, uh, Cuthbert, your check's in the mail. Thanks for the uh, <laughs> slew of compliments there. I appreciate them. Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, my fiancé and I just got a hot tub, so we're, you know, reaping the rewards of that uh, while I'm home for a week and just hanging out and enjoying life. But yeah, things are good. Mid-March hot tub. I mean, sun's coming out. Spring is in the air. We still have a lot of hockey to discuss things moving forward. Things are happening. So things are get, you know what? It was a bit of a dark week with, you know, anniversaries of certain things that we're not going to discuss right now, but things are looking up. Yes, yes, they are. We don't need to dwell on anniversaries right now. I've never been a big fan of them anyway. <laughs> I agree. Uh, okay, so I mentioned the midway, midway mark of the season. The meat of this conversation is going to be an NHL awards outlook, which I'm happy and excited to discuss with you at the 50%-ish checkpoint. But as I do with most guests, I'm going to force you to talk about yourself a little bit. And I am a sports broadcasting nerd. It is deep in my bones. So I'm particularly excited to talk about the beginnings or your beginnings in this industry. Now, we're about the same age, but I feel like I was just a little kid when I watched you on Gillette Drafted, which, for those who don't know, is essentially a reality competition or was a reality competition to become host a host at The Score, which was an upstart television brand in Canada that produced so many talented broadcasters, many of them in major markets, many of them on major networks. So how was it then, if we're basically the same age as I mentioned, and I was doing God knows what at the University <laughs> of Western Ontario, were you not just polished, but prepared to do the work and also able to handle everything that goes along with being part of a reality series. Well, first off, I would say, I think about this all the time. What would the Canadian sports landscape specifically look like without the SCORE television network? I mean, yeah. Tim McAuliffe, Sid Sixero, Elliot Friedman, uh, Adnan Burke, who's in the U.S. now, but is, is an incredible talent as well. It's wild. Cabby. I mean, it's so crazy to think of the talent that came out of that came out of the score, but I was a baby when I did Gillette drafted. Like I really had very, very little experience. Like I was working in radio in London, Ontario, sort of cutting my teeth, volunteering at Rogers television, also in London, Ontario, working at old Navy. Like I was doing a million things, just trying to figure out how I was going to get into sports. And 
you know, it's a bit of a long story, but I only ended up on Gillette Drafted because I had spent six months auditioning back and forth from London to Toronto for this daily hockey show that was supposed to be a thing in Canada years and years ago. And it came down to me and two other people. They were looking for a male and a female host. And I didn't get it. They were like, you know, you're really young, you're green, you just need need a little more a little more reps before, you know, you're ready for this. So I didn't get mm-hmm. it. I was devastated. I thought, you know, my life was over because <laughs> I figured that was going to be it for me. Um, and then I want to say maybe a month to six weeks later, the casting agent called me back and said, hey, there's this reality show. And I knew it because I watched the first two seasons as well. And they were like, it's Gillette drafted. They want to get another look at you. The score does. So they want you to submit an audition tape for that. And I was like, I don't know, like Gillette drafted. I got to talk about all sports. Like I'll have to talk about soccer and tennis and like things that I don't, I'm not well versed in. Whereas the audition I was doing prior was all hockey, which I felt very comfortable with. But my dad convinced me to do it. He's like, just do it. Who cares if you have to do something soccer related, just like own that you don't know soccer and that people Mm -hmm. will at least respect that. Um, so I went for it, I did it, and it was still the one of the most crazy things that I've ever done. Like, it feels like that was a different life. It doesn't almost doesn't feel like it was a real thing that happened to me. Um, but yeah, it was terrifying. I was scared every single day. I like, didn't know what I was doing. I was just a nervous wreck, but I was just trying to, you know, get my shot. And so um, it worked out for me, obviously, but mm. uh, it was a crazy experience. And people will say to me, oh, well, you know, you lucked out, like you won a contest. And I was like, okay, you go on national television and audition and interview for a job for two months and see how see how easy it is. It's not an easy thing to do, that's for sure. And not to be disrespectful to the other winners, but there are other winners and certainly they don't have the platform that you have right now. So you, you've almost separated yourself from the championship, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, alumni from Gillette my Drafted as well. My mom always said, my mom used to always say, because it used to really bother me, right? Like I wasn't used to, to criticism because I had never worked in a public space before when I first, very first started there. And I remember people would say that stuff to me on Twitter and my mom would just be like, block it out and just focus on being like the Kelly Clarkson of Gillette Drafted. Like just try to like separate yourself from the contest if you can. And so that was always like in the back of my mind. All right, you're Carrie Underwood. Carrie Underwood, you're just going to work really hard and like your, your work will speak for itself one day. Nice. Uh, I didn't know you worked in London. I mean, my I, I knew my head was very far into the sand when I was in university, but uh, it was even beyond what I initially thought. Um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, but I remember you being this extreme front runner on that series or that um, season of Gillette Drafted. You know, you mentioned being a nervous wreck. Did that help? At, like, did you acknowledge? Did you know that you were in that position, and did that help at all? Well, there's two things. And I'm going to get, I'm just going to tear down the fourth wall and get really real about the experience because I like you, Cuthbert. So I feel like I'm (laughs) going to just open up the door here. So first thing, because I had auditioned for six months for a completely different show, I had already met Greg Sansoni. I had sat in a conference room with him, done like an actual formal interview after a bunch of auditions. And so I went in and I was like, oh man, like they kind of, it kind of like handpicked me for this top 10. So I was mm. feeling good when I first arrived. 
and you arrive about a week before shooting starts and you know you learn all about the sponsor Gillette and how it's going to work and sort of um how to um you know promote the brand throughout the show and like the sort of like verbiage and keywords they want you to use that sort of like just sort of like promo stuff and mm -hmm. I remember getting there and being, you know, pulled aside at one point, not by Greg, but by one of the high up producers and him being like, all right, listen, you did really good in the auditions, but don't think you're the only person that was, you know, like picked to be here. Like there's other people in this competition um, that have interned or done other things that are part of this cast. So like, you know, know your place that sort of like sort of pep talk before it all started. Right. So then I was terrified. I was like, okay, like I get it. <laughs> like I have to like prove myself. Like I'm not here, um, you know, as like a front runner, but that season, the way that it worked, if you won the challenge, then you got immunity for the next elimination. So like if mm. you won, so I won the first challenge of the whole thing. And so that meant no matter how terrible I did in the second challenge, they couldn't send me home. So it was a big deal. And I won three of the first four immunities, mm. which I mean, yeah, it's pretty great, right? Except that the cast sort of turned on me at that point and like right. didn't really want to like associate with me. And like there was, cause you're all staying in the same hotel, right? So on top of just like the nervousness of the competition and that sort of thing, it's like, there was very much a bit of a, a target on my back, so to speak. After that, it was a little harder to like go to lunch with like some of my yeah. some of my castmates. We're all good, like, and we're all friends, but um, it was it was definitely awkward and weird. So I was just like, once I got through week four, I felt very um, like isolated almost. So I was just like, oh gosh, like now like no one wants to hang out with me, and I'm doing this like crazy nerve wracking competition. It was a reality show after all. It wouldn't be a reality reality <laughs> yeah. show, I guess, without targets on people's backs. Yeah. Um, were you as big of a fan as I was of the score? I mean, Timmons said you already mentioned recently ending their run. A lot of folks been reminiscing about the good old days. Cabby yourself, Cam Stewart, all the others who plied their trade there first. Being so creative yourself, was that different attitude or approach that they had as intriguing as it as it was for many? I honestly, yeah, I was a huge fan. I loved, I don't know if you remember The Break, which Renee Paquette used to host. It was very like, it was similar to Katie Nolan's um, No Filter, mm -hmm. but it kind of, I don't know if it started, I don't know who started doing it first, but she was doing a very similar like pop culture sports um, segment where she would make jokes about whatever the hot topics in sports were. But I love that show. I obviously love Jerry D sports reporter, cabbie yeah. on the street. Like I loved the score. So for me, I knew a lot about the score prior to even the audition process. Um, because there was people there that were having fun and doing things like cabbie on the street was so far ahead of his time. Like yeah. cabbie Cabral was a sports <laughs> personality before it's Cabral now. Yeah, yeah, we're tight, you know, I can call him that. No, um, I think, like, he was a sports personality in Canada before that was really a thing. Same yeah. with Jerry D, you know? Like, you didn't really see that, at least when I was a kid. I wasn't aware of people that were real, like, personality-driven in what they did. And so I was always very drawn to that. And I think if I had started my career anywhere else, I don't know that I would be where I am now, only because... 
when you're young, and you know this, when you're young and impressionable and you just really want to succeed and you really want to cover sports, you're just like, okay, you take advice from everyone and you're like, yep, what do I have to do? Like, I will get better at X, Y, Z. I will make sure that I, you know, do this or carry myself this way on the air. Right. And at the score, they almost preferred you to be raw as opposed to polished because then you mm -hmm. could find yourself on the air and figure out what works for you as opposed to being trained to sort of be like everybody else. Um, and so the score is a place where they throw anyone on the air. Like they used to have the segment extra access. Did you ever watch that? Is that where everyone just talks around the newsroom? Yeah. Like very yeah. like TMZ, like yeah, yeah, in yeah. terms of look. It was TMZ anyone, before TMZ. Yeah. It's like anyone yeah. could go to the shootings for that. Anyone, mm -hmm. BAs, editors, interns, like didn't matter. Anyone could go and, you know, say their piece on whatever the topic was. And then you could make the cut or you could not make the cut, but you were, you were available or you were welcome to go there and yeah. be a part of that shoot. And I think it says a lot about what the score television network was all about, which was like, we are home of the hardcore. We might not have all the games, but we do have people who love sports and we are going to magnify that. And so I think because I started there, I learned or at least was was encouraged very early to be myself. And so I think that that has, you know, I owe a lot to the score for that. I think you nailed it with them being ahead of their time. Uh, and one thing that they did that I think maybe not ahead of their time, but it was certainly in a, in the Canadian media market was live at the score, which was on in the early afternoons, I believe. And yes. you were involved in that. And it was basically presented to combat syndicated shows that you'd see on TSN or Sportsnet, like Pardon the Interruption or whatever, but it was uniquely Canadian. Uh, you were part of those broadcasts. It, it, what what comes to mind when you look back on that experience? Oh my gosh, just growing up on the air, that's what it felt like. Because I had no live experience prior to that show. Mm -hmm. And even when I, after I won the show and I started at the score, I was cutting highlights. I wasn't really on television. I was sitting in an edit suite, watching five games at a time, putting highlight packs together and sending a script yeah. to someone and really learning kind of the way most people start in this business, which is cutting highlight packs and really entry level position. Um, so I, I, you know, owe a lot to that as well for being where I'm at. But I think for me, when live at the score became an opportunity for me, I didn't know any, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I was just trying to survive. And I was very fortunate that I got to work with Cam Stewart, another legendary uh, personality from the score. Yeah. And, you know, he is such, he is probably of all the people that I've worked with, he's probably the best at being exactly who he is on camera and off camera. Like there is a mm. very, very little difference between who Cam Stewart is off screen and on screen. And so we just had fun. I remember um, we would finish shows. I think we were on three to five or four to six. I can't remember yeah, what the time like slot was, but we would go down the street, King Street West to Gabby's. We would watch hockey all night, like me and Cam Stewart. Sometimes other people would come to Renee sometimes, sometimes people behind the scenes drink beer, watch hockey, go home. And then I get up the next day and go back to work and like do it all again. And it was just really fun. I had a really good time uh, working with Cam and sort of figuring out how to do it. Cause I didn't really know. And I was working with somebody that became a really good friend and 
we had a lot of really solid memories and also a lot of mornings where we showed up to work pretty hungover. Like, <laughs> okay, we're hungover, but we know what happened because we had money on those games. We were very exactly. invested in those late night West Coast hockey games. So uh, it was just, I just remember it being a blast, really. Well, that, that's the authenticity, right? Like it's its about living and living and dying with sports and, and you see that with the analysis, but also experiencing what the fans are doing, which is going to the bars, going to Gabby's and <laughs> yeah. drinking and being hung over the next morning. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the score did sell its channel and we've lost a lot of that to Sportsnet uh, a long time ago. That meant you transferred your platform as well, but you use that platform to springboard to your next opportunity at NHL Network. What excited you the most about working at NHL Network when that op- opportunity was first presented? Well, for me, hockey, and this goes back to my original, original audition process with the score, like that was for a hockey show. Hockey was always what I wanted to do. I grew up playing hockey. My sister played, like my sister's claim to fame is that she got knocked out by Natalie Spooner, like way back (laughs) when they used to play in the same league. And um, so I just grew up in hockey ranks. My dad's my best friend. I listened to sports talk radio when I was like nine years old. Like hockey has always been the goal, whether it's on TV, marketing, PR, like I didn't really care what I what I was going to do. I just wanted to be a part of the game because it was such a part, it was such a part of my foundation of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, when we got, when the score got purchased by Sportsnet, I was like, okay, this is good though. Like they have the huge hockey deal. I'm, you know, hopefully I'll like survive, you know, layoffs and that sort of thing. And maybe I'll get an opportunity there. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And so I had been at Sportsnet for, I don't know, a few years, maybe three and a half years-ish. And I had done some things. I had done some AHL games and I had did some college hockey and like CIS championship weekend. And I had done things here and there, uh, but I hadn't really gotten to cover hockey outside of the highlight desk. Um, And so for me, when the NHL network opportunity came up and I went and I did the audition and I wasn't really sure what it was for. And then they told me about the show and how it would be two hours of live TV every single day covering the entire league. And it was basically pitched to me as, as a hockey variety show, like a hockey talk show. There'll be creative segments. There'll be player and coach interviews. There'll be highlights, analysis, opinion, like whatever it's going to be. And they wanted me to come there, push my personality, have a voice, you know, I was, I was told really early on that I would get a lot of freedom 
And so mm. for me, it was like a no, it was a no brainer because I wanted to cover hockey so bad. And I got to check that box, but I also got to do it in a way where I could still be creative. Because at this point, when that opportunity came up, I had had a lot of success with misplays of the month. And misplays of the month, as much as it was just a simple countdown, you know, I produced that show. I came up with the idea to have the Raptors and the Blue Jays co-host that show. Um, I sat in the edit suite from start to finish for misplays of the month, you know, the box in box look with the guys sort of watching the highlights and doing commentary. And so I had really grown to appreciate and respect sort of everything that goes into making a segment or a show work. And so I just really jumped at the opportunity. But before I left Sportsnet, I did, you know, go to my boss at the time and say, like, this is what I have. This is what I'm being offered. Is there any chance that I can cover hockey here? And mm. he was very honest with me. And he was like, listen, I can't guarantee that you're going to get the experience covering the NHL in the next two years that you're going to get at NHL Network. Like, I can try to get you in, filling in and, reporting roles and that sort of thing. But I don't know that it's going to be to the magnitude of what this network is offering you. Right. And so I was really scared. I honestly was terrified because I felt like I had it pretty good in Toronto. Um, but my dad, you know, said my dad, I remember talking to my dad on the phone being like, I don't know what to do. And this will sound very vain, but I was like, I've had like some success here. Like people know who I am here. I'm going to go there. What if I suck? What if, what if I fail? What if I'm not good at live television? Mm -hmm. And my dad said to me, well, if you wake up in two years and you stay here, you wake up in two years and you're doing the exact same thing that you're doing right now, misplays of the month and highlights on the weekend, how will you feel? And I said, I'll feel disappointed. He's like, well, it's your answer. Like you have to go, go because otherwise you're never going to know. And so I went and in my first year I was, I did everything, winter classic, all-star, then I was on the ice, like eight feet away from Alex Ovechkin as he's lifting his first Stanley Cup, uh, mm. like 13 years in the making or whatever it was. And I was just like, holy cow, like imagine if I had turned this down, like I wouldn't be here right now. So it's been a crazy, crazy journey. Two hours of live TV. It sounds a lot like live at the score, <laughs> just maybe without the need for hydration. Um, what's been the best? I mean, you might have just touched on it there, but what's been the single best experience you've had so far since joining the oh, NHL Network? Oh, my gosh. I do go back to that moment on the ice um, with Alex Ovechkin my first year, only because obviously it's, it's Alex Ovechkin, one of the best goal scorers, maybe the best by the time it's all said and done. Um mm -hmm. And I was such a huge fan. Like, I don't know where you were when it was Sidney Crosby versus Alex Ovechkin. Like, really, like, like heated debates about, like, who was better yeah. like, very early on in their careers. And I always, like, I love Sidney Crosby. He's one of the best in the world. But I was always such an Ovechkin fan. I was like, yeah, but, like, Ovi hits. And, like, he's big. And, like, oh, you know, like, I was just such a fan of the way that Ovi plays. And um, so for me, for it to come sort of all full circle and wanting to see Ovechkin win a cup just as a fan of hockey for so long and seeing him, you know, just never really get that close. And then to finally do it and to be there for it, it was, it was a very like pinch me moment. It was very like, holy, if I went back and told, you know, teenage Jackie that one day she would be eight feet away from one of the greatest players ever lifting their first Stanley Cup I would just not believe it I would just be like that's not in the cards for me so that's mm -hmm. a big one um interviewing Wayne Gretzky 
in St. Louis was pretty, pretty surreal. And I, he probably is the type of person that remembers everyone's name, but like when he walked over and was like, hi, Jackie, I was just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I'm like, what is the what? <laughs> What's happening? Um, so that was pretty crazy. Yeah, there's been some, there's been some really good experiences and the all women's edition of NHL now has been something that I'm really proud of too, but. I was just going to ask you about that. I mean, we just had the fourth <laughs> annual all-female NHL Now last Monday on the NHL Network. New contributors such as Blake Bolden, scout with the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, you've seen the majority of these celebrations, uh, if not all of them. In your all opinion, them, yeah. are, are we seeing real progress here? I mean, I heard you talk about it, how you don't want this to be a thing because then you've actually achieved what the end goal is. But the, yeah. can you speak toward the level of talent that is coming up and is available among the female broadcasting pool that's covering the NHL right now? I think we see it. I think the all-female NHL now is a great example of it. And the broadcast that we've seen on NBC and Sportsnet and different places um, that's all-female, I, I always, this conversation, I always make a point to say that we really have already come a really long way and i mm -hmm. think sometimes the conversation skews negative in terms of like how far we still have to go but i think if you look at sports and you look at women not just in hockey but in all sports and the opportunities that are there for them now i think there are a lot of examples of how much the roles for women have grown when i was a kid if you were watching a woman in sports she was either hosting the highlight desk or she was a sideline reporter but we have women in sports now that are sports personalities. Katie Nolan is a great example. I think Renee Paquette, who was with WWE for a long time, but has done a lot of stuff outside of that, is another great example. Um, so I do think that women are getting different opportunities now that maybe weren't available to them in the past. I think uh, even myself, like I do a segment every week where I give my opinion, impassioned opinion on something <laughs> in hockey and there's nobody there with me to support what I'm saying or to like encourage me along the way. It's just me. And so I think that in and of itself shows that, you know, there are a lot of networks and a lot of people and a lot of them are men that do support and accept women in that space and them having a voice. EJ Raddick is a great example of somebody that he just is so supportive and encouraging and welcomes me into every conversation, you know, like it's never been, I never had to ask for it. I never had to say right. to EJ, like, hey, I want to say something about this when we cover this on the show. Like, he's just always, always brought me in, even though I am technically the host of the show. I'm not an analyst by any means, but he always mm -hmm. has been that way. And so I think there are a lot of really great men in this business, as much as we like to focus on some of the hardships and the adversities that women face. I think there are a lot of people that are, very accepting of women in sports. So I do think we've come a long way. I think the next step for me is, is the women that are playing the sports and creating a more viable league for them. Um, yeah. I think female broadcasters probably have it better than female athletes in cer certainly in team sports, I would say. I think that the Dream Gap Tour um, has been amazing. I don't know how we go from the Dream Gap Tour to a viable league where women can be paid and do it for a living um mm -hmm. like a real living but i do i do hope to see that one day because those women work extremely hard they're incredible athletes we love talking about them every four years at the olympics it's like must see hockey yeah. and you know i think they deserve more than that and i think they're proving that with the dream gap tour and so i always i always think that 
or at least I've been saying a lot the last couple of weeks that I think female broadcasters probably have it better than female athletes. And I think that needs to change. That's really interesting. Uh, I, I mentioned your creativity off the top. So I feel like you're the person, the perfect person rather to ask this question too. What do you think the next step in hockey media's evolution is? Oh my gosh. I don't know. What a question. <laughs> oh my gosh. Maybe, um, maybe a little too meta. <laughs> And I think we're starting to see it a little bit more. Um, you know, I think we see it on Hockey Night in Canada um, with the EXA. Like, I do think that there are more personalities in sports that are willing to have fun and show their personality and not really take things super serious all the time. I love this game. I love hard-hitting analysis. I love, you know, the insiders of the world and what they bring to the table. But I do think that there is a lot of room for personality and character in terms of covering this game. So for me, it's just about pushing that forward more. I would love to see a show like NHL now in Canada. We don't mm -hmm. air in Canada right now. I don't think that there's a show like that in Canada right now. That's really truly a hockey talk show. I know that there's, you know, there's pregame shows and that sort of thing, but I don't yeah. know that there's really a four to six, interviews, highlights, debate segments, fun segments. Um, I guess the closest would be uh, maybe the show on TSN, that's hockey. That's still what it's called. Yeah, that's more of a pregame show, it, it feels yeah, like. But I that agree. that is it, yeah. I mean, yeah, like I, the I think the problem... Version. I think the problem in Canada right now is that they, they rely so heavily on just radio syndication, which is okay. I mean, Overdrive is one of the most successful shows, radio shows certainly so in North America, and it's so good. <laughs> But that's just basically turned into your TV talk show, which is, I don't want to say limiting, but it's it's certainly, uh, it's not like NHL now. And there's is there's there's a different market for different things. Like there's, you know, people want to see visuals, people want to see all hockey debates. Uh, and, and right now, I think it's, it's more of a radio thing. And this is my last question or last Jackie question. And it might be actually more of a comment. But one thing I do admire about you uh, is that despite you having this incredible job, it's that you're still grinding on the side. Big time. You're making videos for your YouTube channel. Uh, you have this upstart mentality still in a lot of ways. So what drives you to continue on with, with projects like that? I think for me, it just comes back always to like, how far can I go with this? Like, how much can I really push it? Like, I've come a long way, but I am the type of person that needs to be challenged and I need to be inspired in what I'm doing. And so for me, doing things like Feisty Friday, which again is for the show, but I also do it because I know that it's great. It's a great segment that is great on social media to get people talking. Um, the overhyped, underhyped segments, those are completely driven by me. Like there's mm -hmm. no aspect of the network involved in those. And I think it's just an opportunity for me to show, a show my personality in my own way and get to things that I don't always have time for um, on NHL now, just because we are covering the whole league and there's so much to get to on any given day, especially this year um, with how many games there are every night. So right. yeah, I think it's just like, okay, I'm doing this. I'm really happy with this, but am I capable of more? Can I get better at certain things? Can I grow my brand and my audience online? I think that I can. And so mm -hmm. I want to try to do that and see what that takes. I'm a huge fan of Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk, and he's constantly talking about, you know, creating more and thinking about legacy. And I think that when it's all said and done, I would like to leave my career at the end of the day and be 
satisfied and feel like I emptied the tank and I really, really, truly put Jackie out there. Like I was true to myself. People know who I am um, as a person and my passion for the game. And, and I'm okay with being looked at as, you know, a little bit more of a lighthearted um, hockey broadcaster. Like that's okay with me. Some people aren't okay with that. I'm okay. I don't need to be taken super serious. So I just want to see how much I can grow and yeah. And it's fun. Like I have a good time. Like I, mm. I love hockey. I love making the segments and I actually really enjoy getting in the comments and bantering back and forth with whoever is watching them every week and giving me their two cents. So like, it's a way to also just connect with people who follow me on those platforms and who, you know, support me a lot. And I do think it's important to acknowledge those people. So I think that's my way of doing it. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, we'll cut that clip for you so you can have, because I'm sure you asked all the time about advice, uh, breaking into the industry. And I think you just provided the perfect uh, advice to uh, someone who is trying to make their mark. Okay, let's get into a discussion more geared towards an NHL Network live spot and hand out some major awards at the halfway mark. Uh, You ready for that, Jackie? So ready. Can't wait. Okay, Hart Trophy. It seems like it's between three players at the moment. I'd probably argue it's closer to two. Connor McDavid, he's already halfway to 100 points in 30 games. Patrick Kane, who's driving the surprise Chicago Blackhawks. And I guess that third one who might not be in the discussion as much anymore as Austin Matthews, I think, still leads the NHL in goals, but this injured wrist seems to be having an impact on his play. So where's your lean? And you can go outside those top three, obviously, if it's, it's your call. (laughs) where are you leaning and uh why are you leaning that way okay so i lean patrick kane and i lean patrick kane i do i listen connor mcdavid is connor friggin mcdavid like he's unbelievable it's incredible like we're actually spoiled with what he gives us every year and the fact that we haven't seen him in more postseason is honestly just it's a shame for hockey fans because we deserve to see connor mcdavid like vying for a stanley cup every year he's just so good So I want to just preface my argument with that before the Oilers fans get at me um, (laughs) in the comment section, if you will. Um, So yes, Connor McDavid is far and away the best player on planet Earth. But when I look at this award, and I think we end up debating this every single year, no matter who we're talking about, is like Patrick Kane is taking a team that has no business being in the conversation and he's putting them in the conversation. And he's Mm -hmm. a guy that's doing it, missing two of their centers, maybe three right now. I think Strom's still out. So it's like what the Blackhawks are accomplishing is I don't think anyone saw coming. I don't think anybody had them even close to a playoff spot. And here they are. I don't know that they'll make it in the end. We'll see if they can sustain the way they've played over the whole year. But I think it comes back to, okay, it's MVP. It's most valuable to your team. There's no question Connor McDavid is the most valuable player to the Edmonton Oilers. But where are the Edmonton Oilers? They're also in a division that most people look at as a little soft. Um, I don't know, Justin, if you subscribe to that theory, but I do think there is something to that. And I think when we get to awards time, and and for the I don't place a vote. So the people that make that place votes, what are how much are they going to weigh the division that these guys are playing in? Because Connor McDavid is feasting on some pretty weak defenses and goaltenders. Do you bring that into yeah. consideration? I kind of do. I don't know that it's fair to McDavid, but I can't help it. I just can't help it. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it'll change a little. I mean, he's already played the Ottawa Senators seven out of nine times, and that's been like complete feast every single time they've played Ottawa. So I get, I, I'm definitely you get keep your eye on that and see what he does against the other five teams. I guess that he's gonna play. Uh, but this is actually the first time I'm voting on the major awards this year, and I'm oh, really, cool. I don't want a Galaxy Brain. Thank you. I don't want a Galaxy Brain the the or the Heart Trophy pick. Um, and I think doing anything but Connor McDavid is galaxy braining it to an extent, but you do make ah, a good argument. On. But I think the Oilers are exceeding expectations too, I think. It, it is a weaker division, um, but they wouldn't be anywhere either without Connor McDavid, even though they have the reigning Hart Trophy winner in Leon Dreisaitl. But this is the best player in the league, elevating a team that's not very good, and they're in the, pretty comfortably in the playoff spot right now. So I'm, I'm still going to go with Connor McDavid. Connor. I probably have to watch a little bit. See, we're a little sheltered here in Canada right now. I mean, you're in Canada really? right now, but we cannot get as many <laughs> Chicago Blackhawk games as maybe we, we need to. Uh, I mean, I do have NHL live, but it's just like Canadian team, Canadian matchup, Canadian matchup every night. Uh, so it's hard not to witness Connor McDavid and, and really, really appreciate it this year. Uh, any, any rebuttal to that before we move on? No rebuttal. No rebuttal. I was just going to say, I know, you know, it, there tends to be a joke that's made all the time that, like, in Canada, they only cover the Canadian teams. But to be fair, like, you are catering to your audience. So, like, that mm -hmm. totally makes sense. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll have to say, it always comes back to this. I feel like we have this argument all the time with the Hart Trophy. Is it like you take a team that had lower expectations and a player on that team that's doing big things, or do you just take the person that's running away with, you know, the scoring race, which would be Connor McDavid, but we'll see. Yeah, and we don't know how it's going to end up, but if he hits 100 yeah. points in 56 games, I mean, ooh, that's going to be tough. Oh, to my gosh. I, I know. I it's, See, you're already, like, swaying me over to the other side, and I came on this show today. I was like, I will not <laughs> be saying Connor McDavid because this needs go. to be an interesting conversation. But um, Patrick Kane is, is ridiculous as well, and I just think the Hawks are such an incredible story. Well, if we've accomplished anything, we've eliminated Austin Matthews, it seems. Yeah! Yeah. Sorry, Austin. <laughs> uh, okay, let's do the Calder Trophy. And I, I was going to ask you who's going to win the Calder Trophy, but I'm not even going to ask the question because the more appropriate question is just how excited does the NHL Network get when Kirill Kaprizov is on the ice? Oh my gosh, so excited. I feel like this is the most exciting the Minnesota Wild have ever been. And it's because yeah. of dollar, dollar bill Kirill. Like this kid yeah. is incredible. Like he's, it's not just that he's really good. It's that he's got this like charismatic swagger to him that make, he's like a star, you know, he's got that mm -hmm. it factor in terms of just, he draws you to him. And so I think that's an element of him that I'm excited to see as he goes through his career as well, because I don't know, I don't know that we've seen a player with his swagger on the Minnesota wild. You know what I mean? Like they've had really good players there, but not players that have, this charisma and swagger to the way they carry themselves and the way that they play. And I think that makes him really fun to watch, but he's also just, he's so good. It's yeah. he's got to, I, I feel like he's the front. He's obviously the front runner to win the Calder. I think the goaltender on that team is a very interesting conversation and Capo mm -hmm. Kakinen and what he's doing, but because he's a goaltender, I think we got to see what the whole season looks like. Um, yeah. I think he's on an eight, eight game winning streak right now, like 940 save percentage. He's established himself as the number one. Like, so it's, it's pretty crazy what he's doing as well. But I read, are you into advanced stats? Yeah. Are you into that stuff? Okay. Yeah. So I have one, I have one for dollar bill Kirill. Go so, for it. Scoring chances off controlled entries. He okay. has 8.6 of them per game. So almost nine a game. 
there's only three players that have more per game. And this is from a couple days ago, so these numbers might be slightly skewed. Mm. Connor, Connor McDavid, Patrick Kane, I believe. I might be messing that. No, Matt Barzell. Connor McDavid, Matt Barzell. Yeah. And number one in this stat category is actually Jordan Cairo in St. Louis, who people are probably sleeping on. But the fact, like, to me, I'm just like, all you have to tell me is Connor McDavid and Matt Barzell. And I'm like, holy yeah. crap, like dollar bill Kirill, he can score, he can pass, but he can also control the play. So he can bring the puck into the zone and create, create a scoring chance for his team all on his own. And I think that that says a lot about what he's capable of. I'm glad you said Matt Barzell because right when you said the name of that stat, I'm like, okay, that's the Matt Barzell stat. That's exactly yeah, what he does. Yeah, I know. I um, messed it up. I was like, wait, it's not Kane. <laughs> it's not Kane. Who is it? It's Matt Barzell. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the fun that Kaprizov provides is like permeating the entire team, which might be, you know, he's going to win, obviously, the, the scoring title amongst rookies. But I think his biggest accomplishment is making the Minnesota Wild really, really fun. Uh, and yeah. I think that's that's a huge difference like, from what, we, what we've seen before. Like yeah, I, I, cool now? They're cool? What? They're always so low on the cool. watchability game center <laughs> yeah. live rankings. And now that's like, if they're on Vegas versus that, like the top four teams in the West, like if they play each other and obviously the wild are included, it's a must watch. Uh, okay. Norris trophy. I think this is the, actually the hardest one Ooh. for me. I don't think it's actually really? sorted itself out just yet. You've got dudes like okay. Jeff Petrie and Jar- Darnell nurse shining North of border. So getting a lot of attention, at least in my household, uh, and perhaps we didn't really expect that from them, but I think they might be in the conversation. And you got the normal guys like Victor Hedman, John Carlson, Drew Doughty getting back into it. He would be considered a normal guy, at least in previous seasons. Then you got the young guys, Kale McCarr, Charlie McAvoy, maybe entering that elite tier. So uh, where are you leaning with the Norris Trophy? So for me, Eileen Hedman, I know that's a really boring, it's a really boring answer. I just think all around, he is just such a beast. Like he's just so good. And when I look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, we're talking, I mean, they're ridiculous. They're head to toe. Like they are, to me, the one of, if not the best team in the NHL this year as well. Um, yeah. It's hard with the divisions to like compare them to a Vegas, I think. And that's something that I struggle with when I'm, when we do like power rankings and stuff. I'm always just like, uh, yeah, but like playing different divisions, they never play each other. Like I just mm-hmm. want to see Tampa and Vegas play each other. I want to see exactly. what would happen. But I think on Tampa specifically, like if you take Kucherov off that team, which we're seeing right now, they're okay. They're fine. You take Stamkos off that team. They're good. They're fine. Vasilevsky, you might, they might struggle a little bit, but I still think they would be a powerhouse in the league based on what we've seen from McElhinney has been like serviceable. I think if you take Hedman off that team, it, it, yeah. he's irreplaceable. I think it, it damages them so much because it just shifts their entire back end and I think over time you would start to see them suffer from that I think they could get through like a short-term headman absence but I don't know that they could get through a long-term headman absence so I just think he is their most valuable player I think he's the best defenseman in the league I think that he is just good at everything it's annoying actually like it actually bothers <laughs> me a little uh I I don't disagree with you on Hedman. Uh, I think at some point we do have to award excellence, and I think he's sort of established the bar. I am interested in Jeff Petrie with all the goals he's putting up, um, but again, maybe a little bit easier in the North Division. And Victor Hedman sort of something. Sorry to cut you off. I no, read go something, ahead. And I'm just gonna, if I'm wrong, like I didn't like make notes for this interview, but I feel no, like no. Hedman like half of Petrie's goals come against the Canucks, something like that. 
There's a stat. I, I'll that check. might be Toffoli. That might be Toffoli. Sh- certainly Toffoli's been an absolute oh, terror to his old, old team. Toffoli. I think it might be a little bit more spread spread out for Petrie, but uh, either way, uh, he's getting the yeah. job done and Toffoli's getting it done against his former team. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, can't, I think you got to go ahead. I don't think his numbers are like that crazy good right now and I expect yeah. them to improve. So even if he's in the pole position right now, I think the numbers will sort of bear that out a little bit more by the end of the year. So he'd probably be in the driver's seat for me too. Let me ask you this, and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago on social media, actually. The Norris, like we always look at offense so much when we talk about this award. Do you take in, how much do you take into consideration the defensive numbers for these guys? I think you have to. I mean, I think it's gotten gotten a little out of control with just like point totals. We're taking the, yeah. the, the, you know, the highest point producer. But this year, it's a little bit interesting. I mean, I've been watching it a little bit closer because I'm, I am actually going to submit a, a, a vote this year. And there's no one that really stands out from a defensive standpoint. That's what, that's what I was sort of alluding to with Hedman. Like, the numbers aren't that great. And it's mm-hmm. not great really with anyone who's in the discussion. It's great with people that you wouldn't ever include in the discussion. So yeah. uh, I think those things will sort of, uh, you know, we're only through, what, 30 games max for most teams. I yeah. think all that stuff will normalize a little bit. But I think you have to take that into account because, you know, we both sat in the stands in Toronto and in the Toronto bubble last year and watched Victor Hedman absolutely dominate games. And I know the numbers would have burned that out. Uh, and mm-hmm. I don't know if they are this year necessarily, um, but maybe that's something that comes into effect a little bit more when the games are the you know as important as they were in the bubble. And yeah, you know, that can't be really that can't really be uh, you know maintained throughout the course of a regular season, especially when all these games are condensed the way they are. Yeah, I agree. Okay, let's go to the Vesna Trophy. And this could be, for me, the the most enjoyable NHL award given out ever. If Marc-Andre Fleury, who is one of the best humans in the NHL, after getting kicked to the curb, (laughs) soared through the back by Alan Walsh, memes, trade rumors, everything, if he comes back this year and not only steals the job back from Robin Leonard, I know he's been hurt, but wins the Vesna Trophy. I think he's in that conversation certainly right now, maybe the leader right now, but there are other guys that are, uh, you know, in the mix. Neck and neck might be Andre Vasilevsky, the reigning Vesna Trophy winner. And guys like Varlamov, Grubauer, Hellebuck are certainly in the mix as well. But I think right now, um, the numbers certainly suggest that Marc-Andre Fleury could win. And certainly he would be, I don't want to say that I'm going to be sentiment is going to pull me in, in any direction, but voters would love to vote for Marc-Andre Fleury. So would you vote for Marc-Andre Fleury? Yes, he's so damn likable. It's a good thing I don't have a vote (laughs) because like he would be a hard pick for me. Like he's so good. He's got to be like the classiest, nicest guy in the league. Like he, and he's like that to everyone, not just his teammates and people that, you know, he can, you know, that benefit him. Like he's so good with the media, media. He's so classy. He has time. My favorite thing about Marc-Andre Fleury and shout out to Ryan Whitney for telling me this. This is a Ryan Whitney tidbit. Mm -hmm. Marc-Andre Fleury, no matter how much money he makes, he could eat at the best places. He could go get the best steak in town no matter where he goes on the road when the world's normal. But the guy goes to Olive Garden over and over and over. His favorite place sticks. to go is the Olive Garden. Yeah. 
Olive Garden. I'm just like, what? Like you could go like just wine and dine at the the finest establishments any city has to offer. And this guy's like, is there an Olive Garden here? Because that's where I want to go. I feel like there wouldn't be an Olive Garden in Vegas. Like Vegas is to another like several notches above our Olive Garden. Yeah. You would think. I think that's I think that's where that tidbit came out. I think we had Flurry on the show and Wit was the analyst and that was his question. I think he was like, Oh, Flower, I know you love Olive Garden. Like, is there one out there in Vegas? Or like, how are you getting by without your Olive Garden? But um, I do think Flurry is is certainly at the top of that discussion for me. I think Vasilevsky is right there with him. I mean, their numbers are very similar. Um, But I'm so glad that you brought up Varlamov. I don't know that he'll win it when the season's over, but I feel like he gets so overshadowed or just he, he gets no love. Like, even the Islanders on this crazy winning streak, and I'm in the U.S. I'm like a hop, skip, and a jump away from New York, okay? Mm-hmm. And like they're not, ta- we're not talking about Varlamov enough. That's how yeah. I feel about it. And I know a lot of people. The, the reputation for the Islanders is well, like the team in front of him. He's not facing a lot, so it makes his job easier. That's the argument a lot of people like to put out there. But I looked at the numbers the other day, and he's seen around the same amount of shots as Flurry and Vasilevsky this year. So like. I don't know what the qu- the quality of those shots is. I didn't dive into the advanced numbers, but in terms of the quantity, like he's seeing the same amount of rubber as Flurry and Vasilevsky. So I don't want to hear that like he doesn't face anything because the Islanders are good defensively in front of him. That's garbage take. I don't like. Yeah, it. I mean, <laughs> if you're a goalie and you're you're in the Vesna discussion, if you have Barry Trotz as your head coach, you're at a slight disadvantage because everybody yeah. loves giving Barry Trotz credit, oh. and I don't blame them. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's part of it's a, it's a built in disadvantage, I guess, yeah. for Simeon. OK, last one. Jack Adams. Plenty of candidates here. A lot of a lot of teams, you know, doing better than maybe we than we thought. Uh, a lot of a lot of coaches that are coaching really good teams to really good records. And I think we have to take that in, in account as well. But is there one that jumps out for you? I'm going to I'll start. I think I, I'm a Dean okay. Evison guy right now because of the fun oh, that the yeah. Minnesota Wild are having. So okay. I'm just going to I'm going to throw out his name. Uh, because I think he deserves to not only, you know, relish in the success that the Minnesota Wild are having, but turning them into a team that is fun and plays the game the right way. Not 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 the right or wrong way, because Barry Trotz plays the right way, probably, if we're being honest with ourselves. <laughs> yeah. um, but Dean Evison has turned that team into a team to watch and a team that has success. And I think checking off those two boxes uh, is worth at least a vote for me. I love that. He's got to be in the conversation for sure with what the wild are doing. And you look at their team last year. I mean, he's only been coaching the team for, it hasn't even been a calendar year yet. It might just be a calendar year. Like I can't remember when Bruce Boudreau got fired, but it was certainly past Christmas. Um, So he's, he's only been there for let's say 365 days and the team looks completely different than they did a year Mm -hmm. ago. So I think he's in the conversation for sure. I will start by saying that I am, historically very much the person that's like, well, this coach did more with less. Like I always, always lean that way in the argument, but this year, I think it has to be Barry Trotz. I think what Barry Trotz has done with the New York Islanders in that division. And again, there's still half a season to go, but right now, if I had, if I was voting, I would give it to Barry Trotz. That's where I would go with my vote because I think that, the way the Islanders play, the competition that they face every night in that division and what they're doing, to me, deserve, he deserves all the credit in the world. So I would go Barry Trotz, but I do like Dean Evison as well. I think the Wild are a great selection. Jeremy Colleton, I think people are talking about him as well in Chicago. 
deservedly so. But what I will say is that they are getting pretty good goaltending from Kevin Lankinen that I don't think yeah. anybody saw coming. And I think that his goaltending and what he's been doing thus far has just kept the Hawks in games. And I think with the way Patrick Kane is playing, if he if there's a chance, like if you're within a goal, like Patty Kane, he's going to go showtime on you. And like, that's just, that's it. It's going to happen. So I don't know. I, I, I don't want to take anything away from Jeremy Collison because they are missing like all of their centers, but yeah, I don't know. I sense something about the goaltending there. I stray away from that team, but he's in the conversation, I would say. Yeah, I mean, as the old adage goes, show me a good goaltender, I'll show you a good coach. And I think that applies yes, to the three we you. mentioned. But also Joel Quenville, who's having some oh success gosh, with Chris Drieger. I think those four are, uh, they're very similar and they're all having unexpected success, but they're all having unexpected success behind great goaltending. So uh, I think those might be your four. Too. I think in Florida too, I think that the changes they made and the players that they brought in have really been paying big dividends in Florida yeah. as well. So credit due there as well. Certainly. Okay. Uh, do you have time for a little Maple Leafs talk? Of course. All okay. the time. Uh, I know you have a keen eye on the Maple Leafs all the time, so I do need it. I do need a heat check. Um, best record, best record in the NHL until it wasn't. Now the Leafs yeah. are without a regulation win in six games. Are we seeing the same old Maple Leafs manifest themselves here, destined for failure? Uh, a team that's only being propped up by the by uh, the strength or weaknesses of their of its opponents. You mentioned the Canadian division being. Uh, pretty weak or is this still a legitimate Stanley Cup contender that's just hit a speed bump recently are we surprised that the Leafs have (laughs) fallen off a little bit here no I'm not surprised Um, I think every team kind of has a little slump at some point in the season even a shortened 56 game season what concerns me about this stretch of games for the Leafs is that I feel like they had created almost a new identity for themselves in the way that they're playing prior to what, like a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. I don't know. The actual time is a weird thing for everyone right now, I think. But um, I think that, um, I think that they don't look like themselves and they seem a little bit lost. And that won't concern me if they figure it out and turn it around in the next week, because I think it happens over the course of a season. But I always come back to this with the Toronto Maple Leafs is that when things get hard, they tend to turn in on themselves and so because of that i can't fully believe in the leafs until i see them overcome something and we've never really seen them overcome something i mean the three goal comeback in the bubble was awesome and it was great and i was like oh my gosh this is it the leafs they're gonna battle through adversity they're gonna win this series and then they got shut out um in game five it was not what we expected So for me, I think that they just seem a little bit lost. Um, I think that until they overcome a hump, a real actual hump, then I will never fully allow myself to believe in the Leafs, which sounds really sad, but I think that's spoken like a true, like born and raised Leaf fan. I've just been, I've seen, I've been disappointed so many times that until I see them win a playoff series, I will never fully buy in. But I do think that this is the best, chance and the best the Leafs have looked in a really long time and maybe this is just a bad stretch of games here and we'll see yeah I, I tend to lean that it's just a bad stretch of games but there is a worrying thing because we've seen every year it seems we oh man they really turned a corner look at that win over the Tampa Bay Lightning they've really turned the corner and they're going to do it for real this time and then they always follow that up with 
the same old Leafs style performance. And I think we just saw that for the first time, the same old Leafs over the last 10 days. Um, but I think yeah. it ultimately is going to come down to Freddie Anderson in the end. Uh, if they're going to perform in the playoffs, either Freddie Anderson gives them an opportunity to do that or Frederick Anderson takes away that opportunity. So in your opinion, and you could be quick with this one, it's Freddie Anderson. Are you a Freddie Anderson believer or a Freddie Anderson skeptic? So I have defended Freddie Anderson in my family's group chat for years because my sister <laughs> has been anti-Freddie for, I guess, like three seasons now, probably. My, if, I'm, if my math is right. So she is very like, he doesn't make the big save. He doesn't make the timely save. Like, I'm done. Like, my sister has been out on Freddie for a long time. And I have been like, Marcy, you can't just, that's my sister. You can't always blame the goaltender for some of these losses. Like the Leafs can't put themselves in a position where one goal is going to change the narrative for them or whatever it is in any given circumstance. But I feel like lately I'm start, she's starting to pull me over to that side where I'm just like, I'm, I, when I watch the game, I'll put it this way. I get nervous in a close game with Freddie Anderson in that. Yeah, and I hate sign. saying that, but that's just the reality of like the pit in my stomach when I'm watching, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for like a deflating goal. But I do think that like, if you're, if you're legit and you're a contending team, then um, you have to find a way to overcome that and play better in front of him or figure it out. I don't know. It's a, it's, a, it's a great question. I know that's probably what a lot of the conversation in Toronto is centered around right now. Is Freddie the guy? If he's not the guy, then what? Because we're year what of, you know, this core team of the Maple Leafs supposed to be the, the core that's going to get it done and take Toronto to the promised land for the first time in a thousand years. If it's not Freddie, who is it? And if he's not the guy, then you have wasted probably the best or the best opportunity to win the Stanley Cup. If you're the Maple Leafs, I think the window is as wide now as it's ever going to be. And if he's the especially one that, that fails, year. especially this year, if he's the one that fails to give you that opportunity, then you're certainly going to be kicking yourself afterwards. Oh, my gosh. It's, it's daunting to think about, really, <laughs> because <laughs> you like this is really I do believe that this year is the best path to a mm. cup final that the Leafs Certainly. will have for a long time. Um, like they're not in the same division as Tampa and Boston and some of these powerhouses. So uh, I don't know. I don't know. I saw Dubas was taking a lot of heat. Yes. Was it yesterday? Yeah. On Twitter. Is he? Well, if you're, if you're yeah. Kyle Dubas, last one on the Leafs, if you're Kyle Dubas, do you push <laughs> all your chips into the table? I think you have to go for it this year. I think yeah. if the Leafs are who we saw for 80% of what we've seen so far, then they're a team that can win. And I think that you have to, you have to go for You have to strike while the iron's hot. You got to go for it. And I think that they would be silly not to with the way that they have looked in that division compared to everyone else. They have looked for the most part, like they're far and away the best team. So I would go for it. Okay. And finally, to win. You definitely do. You definitely do. Maybe Jack Campbell will get right at some point and uh, appease all the Leaf fans calling for his uh, his 
solidification, I guess, into the crease. I, I don't know if I use solidification <laughs> the right way you or did. not. You did. But, you did. But uh, a lot of people want him to be playing more than uh, he's been given the opportunity. Okay. So I, you've teased it a few times, Fe- Feisty Friday being your new segment and your uh, crown jewel. I've mentioned your creativity, uh, and that all comes together with Feisty Friday. Uh, it's an opportunity for you to air grievances or get something off your chest heading into the weekend. It's usually reserved for the end of the week, but I would like to give you the opportunity to vent <laughs> now. If anything is bugging you coming out of the weekend, there's anything you want to say before we sign off uh, that you'd like to give us a mini, a taste of a feisty Friday on a feisty, feisty Monday. Okay. We already touched on it a little bit, but I'm pretty feisty about Semyon Varlamov right now because nobody is talking about him, at least not to the extent that they're talking about Flurry and Vasilevsky. And I think mm-hmm. Varley has great numbers and, and numbers don't lie. So to me, I do think that Varlamov deserves to be part of that Vesna conversation. He's been lights out on the best team in his division and it's the toughest division in the NHL in terms of the powerhouse teams or the competitiveness, I guess I should say, in those top five um, in the East. So I love that, but we already talked about that. So I'm gonna go a totally different route and this is not planned and totally off the cuff. <laughs> did you see Eric Carlson's comments about San Jose and I didn't I come did. here to be part of a rebuild and yada, yada, yada. Whatever, yeah. he's allowed to feel however he wants to feel. I wouldn't wanna be part of a rebuild either. So I don't, I don't hate on him for not enjoying losing. Like that would be silly. Of course he wants to be on a winning team. But his use of the word precision in that in that statement, did you read the whole statement? He kept no, saying, you're gonna have like, to remind me. So he, ca- I wish I should have pulled it up. He kept saying something to the effect of like my precision within this organization, and I was like, does he mean position? Does like it's definitely not precision. That is not the word that I think he means to use here. Check mm-hmm. it out, you'll understand what I mean. English major, I was just like, this is not. I don't know what he means. Precision well, unfortunately, unfortunately, Eric Carlson has lost a bit of that precision, and now the San Jose Sharks <laughs> are, uh, you know, descending straight into that rebuild that he doesn't want to be a part of because, frankly, he's not the player he used to be. So uh, he's not. He it's really it's isn't. Uh, it's as much Eric Carlson's fault as anyone else's, but he's still getting the bag. So tell just him, be happy for him. Tell him. <laughs> feisty. Cut this is feisty, feisty on a Monday. Uh, <laughs> Awesome, Jackie. Thank you so much for being generous with your time. Uh, Thank you for coming on and keep up the outstanding work. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.